Hello, welcome to Raising the Bar podcast series. This podcast series is focused on artists. We highlight women and underrepresented creatives whose artworks encompass various layers which speak to their experiences and the communities which have shaped and molded them. We hope that our content inspires collectors, gallerists, and institutions across the globe to look closely at their works, explore and integrate their creative works into collections and archives which transcend beyond time. I am your host, Jewel Sparks. Let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're here with the Shara Aikundayo and Paul, and they are both actually in San Francisco, my favorite place that I used to live. Um, but anyway, I'm really happy to be joined um, with them today as we really discuss the state of the art market. Um, we're specifically going to highlight uh, various elements um, as it relates to, because I've heard various conversations across the globe, what's good art, what's not good art. Also, um, basically kind of the state of black art, black art in America, but also black art across the globe and kind of some of the trends that's happening, um, some of the, the, the attitudes that we've seen. Um, we're gonna be talking about access to gallerists, institutions, and kind of what is the best ecosystem for both um, contemporary and emerging black artists to basically excel and, um, artist equity and all these different things. So this is gonna be like a hot topic today. Um, I'm really excited to be joined by these two amazing experts who have been in the art and culture space as well as the legal space for a number of years. We met and had touch points um, when we were involved with the Museum of African Diaspora as well as Impact Hub in San Francisco. Amazing jewelry members for the upcoming bar art journey and residency. So, how are you guys doing today? You know, we're good. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I'm super excited for this conversation. I love smart people talking about things that I care passionately about. And so, I am giddy and ready. Great. So, um, first of all, I'm going to start off and um, basically ask uh, you guys to share. Um, with our listeners, um, what are you currently doing as it relates uh, to art and culture? Um, and we'll just start with that. Ashara, would you like to go first? Oh, great. I'd, I'd love to go first. Um, what up, though? Beautiful Jewel. It's good to, to be here on the podcast with you and and Brother Paul. Um My name is Ashara Ekundayo. I am an interdisciplinary independent curator. Uh, I live in Detroit, Michigan, and I work in the Bay Area, which includes San Francisco and Oakland, California. Uh, Currently, I am inside of a, I guess I would say inside of my practice that includes managing a a Black Space residency, an artist residency in San Francisco called Black Space Residency. Uh, I sit on the Art Advisory Board for the Global Fund for Women, as well as the board of the Oakland Public Conservatory of Music. Uh, I've been working for more than three decades across genre and across geography uh, in the 
philanthropic sector, the nonprofit sector, and in the corporate sector as a social entrepreneur. And um, have had two art galleries in the Bay Area, but have been more interested recently in, in being guest curator. I currently have an exhibition that's on display at the Sonoma County Museum called Collective Arising, the insistence of Black Bay Area artists. And that's up through uh, November, 2022. And uh, in this, this September coming up, I have an exhibition opening in San Francisco called Salt to Catch Ghosts, uh, which includes 11 Black women from across the United States working in um, genre that really in, implores you to witness and to celebrate uh, the magic uh, and the spiritual aspect of Black women's labor and our creative practices. So uh, these conversations around what is happening you know, in the art world and the art sector right now, um, for me, are present, alive, in ways in which uh, I'm, I'm just currently engaged in deep conversations about the importance of uh, not only equity, but uh, care, care for ourselves and for each other and how it is that we're going to continue to thrive you know, in this sector um, by really realizing that we are interconnected and interdependent and not in this space of separation. And so when you live in these, this world that is about uh, racialized capitalism, it says that you have to compete. And, and I wanna push back on that. I'm really excited for us to dig into uh, the different ways in which that can happen and does happen. Absolutely. That was beautiful. Wow. Okay, Paul, what can you do? Tell us what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Well, I hate following people that sound all smart and great because then I'm like, oh, where do I go from this? Because uh, I was clapping uh, while Ashara was talking like, yes, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. Uh, but it's fantastic because I get excited to hear folks that care deeply about the issues that I care about uh, and the things that I'm always concerned with. Um, you know, Paul Henderson and I'm a fourth generation San Franciscan. I am a collector and a cultural strategist, which by the way, I am stealing from Ashara, uh, but I care deeply about uh, art. I care deeply about artists, uh, specifically artists of color. And I care deeply about their pathways, both for exposure, collection and visibility. And that's kind of the area that I feel like my existence serves as a bridge for. Uh, I work a lot addressing and speaking to powerful organizations, financial institutions, uh, and individuals uh, about the opportunities, both economically uh, and pathways and historic challenges to communities of color, specifically African-Americans, but not to ignore other disenfranchised communities, the LGBT community, uh, elderly community, disability communities, uh, and their exposure, visibility, and presence in the market. Uh, missed opportunities for economic uh, influence, I think, from those communities is really important. But on the back end of that, I care deeply about the actual experience and the actual work from artists of beauty that I see and have collected and want to see 
more mainstream. I want to see the definition of mainstream reinterpreted. I want inclusionary agendas to be adopted by broader communities that care deeply about these issues, but aren't sure what to do, where to go, how to act. And I want to make sure that the esoteric nature of art, that the esoteric nature of collecting is more broadly interpreted, but people can't fix what they don't talk about, and they can't talk about what they don't know. And part of the value of podcasts like this is to make sure in a palatable way that broader audiences can just listen in to these conversations and learn about what they can be doing every day with $100, with $1,000, with their own intention, with their kids to make a difference about exposure that redefines how art is packaged and how art is presented and how culture is presented so that we as a community are more empowered about the direction that we choose about how we are reflected to a broader audience, including ourselves. I think that is super important. And so I'm super excited about these conversations. I have a lot to say and have very deep feelings and commitments to this work. Uh, some of the stuff I'm working on right now is uh, an agency just reached out to me this week about a presentation at Art Basel this year that I cannot wait. I'm super excited about. Uh, I'm already working uh, behind the scenes with some of the corporate folks trying to put stuff together to make sure that the presentations uh, are going to be culturally competent. Uh, but that's art that, I mean, those conversations and that work is stuff that I think can be replicated at a local, state, and national and international level as well that I want to see more people coming to the table, be more people coming to the table of opportunity without just saying from their sidelines as they sip their coffee and read their paper, I wish more were being done or I wish that I could do something. Let's talk about what some of those solutions are that people can be doing and taking right now that I think will create opportunities for everyone and make the market better, make the industry better, uh, and make the visibility institutionalized. That's, that's the stuff that I get excited about. So I'm happy to be here. I have so much to say. I can't wait to start diving in uh, to the specifics. Uh, of what we're here to talk about today. So thank you for having me. Can't wait to begin. You're welcome. And for those of you, um, I know you guys have known that I've done um, this um, Raising the Bar Art, Culture, and Society podcast um, for the last year, but um, I've been involved in art, culture, and um, in a philanthropic way, actually, for over 16 years. Um, that started with me sitting on several boards when I was in um, San Francisco, and I think the most memorable was actually being part of the, um, the Young Professional Advisory uh, Board for the Museum of African Diaspora when it first um, basically hit the floor or, or the streets uh, in San Francisco. So that was a beautiful moment, um, and actually some of our um, a few actually of our jury members for the bar art residency and journey actually are some colleagues um, who have worked um, in a philanthropic way supporting the arts, um, but also have very intense, deep um, touch points um, in corporate uh, society. And me personally, um, coming from an area where I've always been in arts and sciences, 
um, been really focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in these spaces, uh, specifically, obviously, in entrepreneurial in an entrepreneurial way. But um, as time has gone on, as like the art world has grown, as um, various touch points um, have become more relevant and really important from branding, um, I would say from institutional placement, um, gallery representation, um, me wanting to support and be an advocate um, for artists, but specifically um, female artists and underrepresented artists, Black and Latin, Latinx artists is really becoming even more relevant even as the world becomes more digital. So as the world becomes more digital, we're seeing a lot of how there needs to be creative touch points. Corporates are utilizing um, creatives as they enter, for example, the metaverse, all these different elements. We got the blockchain, we got the NFT. And so for me, it's really about always been a focus on how can we help creatives monetize their creativity. And with that being said, I think that it's really important that those who represent these artists understand the true value as well as the essence, as well as the makeup and the passions and like the soul of artists um, and what they really bring to the table beyond their craft. And so one of the reasons I wanted to talk today about the state of the art market, but also mainly really the state of the art market as it relates to what is the safe psychological space and places uh, that Black artists um, where should they be? How should they get there? And most importantly, who should be potentially the keepers of their journey? Uh, those who can really understand and promote them effectively, efficiently, and actually give them a seat at the table, a seat on the wall, a place on the wall, like unapologetically, but most importantly, beyond tokenism. So that's why I really wanted to get us all together today. Um, and so we're going to jump right into it. Um, and really first talk about, I think the first question I really have is what, Ashar, what is, are your thoughts right now um, as it relates to the current art market and how it serves Black artists, both contemporary and emerging artists? What do you think is going on right now? You know, I think um, because, the, because the conversation is a global conversation, um, when you narrow down the question to like, what's going on with the art market, I think it depends somewhat uh, on the location. Uh, as we know, as entrepreneurs, all of us, place matters, right? Space matters, but place matters. And so when um, I look at the so-called art market or the high art market or the blue chip market or whatever you know level we wanna look at in the United States, uh, it's become even more of, I think a, a jungle of dysfunction than it has been. Um, and so much of the current art market and the current art conversation has been fueled by the uprisings of 2020. So much of the uh, popularity now, for some people it's a new thing, but the popularity of Black art or art made by Black people, Black folks of the African diaspora, Black folks on the continent of Africa as well, has you know become this boom. And there is and has been for some years, a conversation on, you know, the secondary art market where there have been collectors who were supporting Black artists from jump, you know, from the day. Maybe they own a lot of those pieces, um, some of those pieces because of circumstances, financial situations, you know, all the, all the 
insanity of, of capitalism, um, folks have started selling and auctioning off parts of their collection. And what that has meant for these artists who at some point, you know, hopefully many of them um, have made uh, quite a name for themselves. They've become celebrated artists or as we say, art stars, right? Uh, and so what happens when uh, this collector who bought a piece of art for $5,000, you know, US is now able to sell that piece of art for half a million dollars and uh, through an auction house and that that artist that you bought it from actually doesn't receive any of the benefit, the financial benefit of that sale. That's, that's one piece of the conversation that, as it relates to, I think, the art world right now that is problematic. Um, there's also the conversation, I know we're getting ready to dig into it, uh, in regards to how white supremacy and uh, structural racism impact the uh, institutions that display, exhibit, and sometimes represent uh, artists, not only black artists, um, women and femme artists, uh, queer LGBTI artists, you know, pick a, pick a box, <laughs> figure out, you know, how you're going to like usurp from that community and then, you know, try to manipulate it and then say, oh, okay, here's our diversity and inclusion box that we're going to check. Is that part of the conversation of the institution or is it just what the market will bear? So those are other questions I think that are inside of this current uh, artist market in the United States. Um, and then I think there's this uh, additional movement that's happening inside of the artist, uh, I wanna say themselves or ourselves. And I'm, I'm speaking particularly to black artists market um, where we are having to make some decisions, some real you know, decisions around what is important to us, what the priority is, and if the white gaze um, and white folks, uh, white institutions, if their validation of our work drives the market, if we are committed to, I think, holding the line you know, for ourselves around our value and our value to each other and making sure that there are opportunities for us to collect each other's art to support each other, uh, as well as making, um, making space for collectors of color to be able to also access our work. So uh, I'll just you know, lay those three scenarios out for us to continue to dig into because Paul has um, such a rich, different you know, perspective coming from a legal standpoint uh, as an expert, an expert for so many years, I'm really, interested to hear your thoughts, you know, on those three things, Paul. Awesome. So I would say just uh, in answer to that, I think the, the real conversation is focused on two tracks. One about the historic exploitation in terms of how we got to where we are in terms of the market institutionalizing a shutdown or an exclusion or an interpretation of Black art from the white institutions of how we got here. Uh, but then also the missed opportunity that's evolving and exists right now in terms of tapping into the wealth and understanding of broader markets that I think is being mixed. And again, <clears throat> you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a lawyer and so I really like facts and statistics. Uh, you may not like my opinion, but you don't get to argue with these statistics about what the reality of it is and what the reality of buying power is as it exists today right now for communities of color if you tap into them. I love that I read a McKinsey report talking about the diminished 
perspective of not having a broad lens of diversity in either your products or approaches for museums and or companies being of at least 30%. But let's quantify that into numbers so that we know how much is being left on the table when you have historically, institutionally, and currently exclude communities of color from what you are putting together or what you are presenting. And that translates currently at about $300 billion. We already know that the spending power, let's just talk about African-Americans, is $835 billion a year. And that cost or value has gone up about 5% exponentially annually for over a decade. That discretionary amount currently translates at about 300 billion annually that is being missed by all of these corporations, all of these museums, all of these galleries. And rather than just talk about what the problems have been, I think it's really important that we talk about what the solutions are. And I believe that those solutions are twofold. One, expanding your audience of whom you are talking to, whom you are marketing to, whom you are presenting to, which is not just your client or your consumer isn't who you have thought it has been in the past, changing that. And then the secondary shift that I think is important is tailoring your products, tailoring the work that you have to a broader audience, specifically communities of color. I talk about African-Americans a lot, but I'm really talking about uh, black and brown communities. I'm talking about the LGBT communities. I'm talking about other communities as well. But that is where I think the answer is of where galleries need to be headed, museums need to be headed. But that can be fueled by empowering individuals like yourselves, like myself, like communities that listen to podcasts like this, and understanding what are some of the things that I can be doing. This are, these are things I care about, but I don't have a million dollars. I don't own a museum. I've never been in a gallery. I'm not sure what that looks like or how to do that. I know what I like. But in part, we have to talk about the cognitive dissonance associated with art and how the brain works and how we like what we've been exposed to, how we like what we know and how we are, tend to like reflections that validate ourselves and validate who we are as collectors, as appreciator of art. And at a very base level, I think that's really important for me. You know, I work in media. I appear on television and lecture. And I am hyper conscious of the fact that the media portrays my own community in ways that I don't necessarily agree with. And in part, my collection speaks to that because I surround myself in my home with images, with reflections of my community in terms of how I see it, in terms of my actual representation uh, of art, which is the ultimate truth in my opinion of how I see myself, how I see my community. And I think a lot of people want to do that. They just don't know how. And it's not part of the training that we get through our institutionalized education. And there's not a cultural education that we receive specifically to art that I think is important for us to have, be having conversations about. And so all of that means that we have our work to do, but it's conversations like this that get us there, that build the bridge for people to, just by listening, can feel like they understand a little bit more about the esoteric operations and work and art, about what needs to get done and why it matters to all of us moving forward. And so, you know, th these are the things that excite me. Um, this is why I think the conversation is so important. And this is also why I think it's really 
almost a mandate for museums, for galleries, for corporations to understand this so that they can do better, so that we can be better served. But we have to articulate what that looks like and what those needs are and what the demands are from these same communities as well. So we can be strategic about what needs to be done and what our next steps are. I just think that um, as the next kind of question is, it's kind of like, what is it and how is it that gallerists and institutions could do better? And I would say it's like, invite more people, uh, you know, who are different and who don't look like your traditional uh, collectors, who don't look like your traditional um, just friends or people that you would hang out with or have meetings with to the table. Can I just respond to that? Because I, I think when you say that, I think people will listen to it and say like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And then they don't know where to go. And I like to connect those dots and to say, here's how you start. You may not feel comfortable by walking up to a person of color and saying, hey, I'd like to have coffee with you, right? Because you might feel like, I don't know how they're going to receive it. Here's how you can start every day today. You can find a voice that is different from yours and follow that person in social media. This is a different digital age, and it doesn't have to be me or Shara, or it doesn't have to be you, Jewel, but it can be, because we're all smart and know what the hell we're talking about. But it can be someone that is a voice that is different from yours, and I would say, don't just follow that person on social media. Don't just listen to those essays or communications or distributions from those individuals. Put that in your social media as well. Listen to someone on Twitter and put that in your Twitter. Listen to someone and post that on your Facebook and on your Instagram. And these small steps, not only do they educate you about something different and a different perspective that broadens your perspective about things that are important like art, but it also sends the message to our communities that we value these voices and we value these institutions and opportunities as well, because we can expect others to care more about the values that we are developing than we do. And it is that apathy that I think is part of the problem where it's aspirational. And I wish my elected leaders would represent me. I wish this gallery would represent my values. I wish this museum would show what I would like to see and not having to, every time we go into a museum, have to wander around, go up to the fourth floor by the elevator to see an image of us as a slave. Not that it's not a beautiful image, <laughs> but that's the singular thing that we find that we are seeking and feel uncomfortable by saying, where are more representation? Where's more representation? Where are the artists that reflect my experience? And, and exercising our voices in that way, because I think that's important, that we have to move beyond this tokenism. And these are some of the concrete ways that we can be doing that right now, because I, I do think that's important. And even in our own homes, with the art that we collect or show around to everyone. My collection is important because I said the hell it's important. And I can articulate who my artists are and why they are beautiful and why they matter because I don't need the validation from an external agency, although I can play that game too and show you the trajectory, show you the provenance and show you the value of everything in my collection. But beyond that, I need to be able to articulate that to a broader audience to empower other collectors and the artists in the collection as well, because, because I think that that's really important. And these are some of the steps that we can all be doing today that make a difference and influence 
when we walk into a gallery, what we demand and ask. That influence when we walk into a museum, what we demand and ask. And that's aside from coming to a show that is filled with Black artists that is just a show and not a collection. And yes, I want to ask to make a difference every time I walk up. Is this artist in your collection? Well, that's unfortunate. Let's talk about it. But if we aren't telling them and communicating that to them, the decision makers, then I think we are part of maintaining the problem. You're not tricking me by showing me this beautiful show that you haven't invested in these artists to establish an institutional change that's going to make a difference. And even though we may not know that difference, having conversations like this empowers us to be making that difference and to write those letters, to send those emails, to ask those questions, to make a difference for the gallery around the corner, to the museum that's in your city, to the collector that you may meet. And I don't apologize for taking those steps and walking into any organization and institution and asking for the artistic expressions that are reflective of my values and my community. And we shouldn't. It's not a privilege that, that you come across that. It's something that I think we can demand that we should be doing and that I take the time to do. And others can do it too. I, I think people feel really intimidated by a lot of the art conversations. Uh, especially communities of color that heretofore have been shut out so much of the conversations, have been shut out of those reflections, and, and we don't need to. We all have, theoretically, we all have homes that we can decorate. We all have art that we can be collecting. And to me, even from an interior design uh, perspective, you know, homes are all alike. They all have the same things, bed and furniture. And quite frankly, the furniture is furniture that is shared amongst most households. It's the art that personifies our values. It's the art that we select to invest in and put up and display and live with on a daily basis that defines who we are from a cultural perspective of our interpretation of art and our interpretation of our own communities and our own interpretations of self, which is why I think it's important. So I know I got on a roll, but you just sparked so many things with what you said that I wanted to talk about what the specifics are in terms of empowering audiences and listeners about some of the small steps that they could be taking today that will make a difference and influence these outcomes in terms of the solutions that we've been talking about. Mm. Yeah, man, you have, you preached up in here today. It is Sunday. The old folks say, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want to I wanna, I wanna inject some more around this. I mean, I, I come to this uh, sector as an arts organizer primarily. I come in as someone who cut their teeth in the nonprofit industrial complex, uh, as an activist, and what I know, what I have come to learn is that when we organize, we win. And so these are opportunities for folks who maybe have not, you know, consider themselves activists to take a lesson from the, from the movement um, or as, you know, take a lesson from the organizers and the movement makers uh, and the folks who are in the street and on the front line. Uh, this work, uh, my curatorial platform is called Artists as First Responder. What we know is that artists show up first. We show up in celebration. We show up in catastrophe. We show up first and on the front line always. There isn't any movement on the planet that has not been fueled uh, and um, 
expanded by your creative self, right? Somebody's going to make a flyer. They're going to write a poem. They're going to put a chant together. There's going to be a movement happening, right? I mean, body movement. All of that comes from your creative self. We know that we show up first and we know that we all come through the womb of our parent, of our mother as creative. And somebody says, you can't do that because you can't make money at that. Or somebody says, oh, I happen to have had two parents who were both creative. Um, my father is still a practicing artist at 82, still paints every day. But I had two parents who said, you can be an artist and you can do other things as well. So neither my sister and I became doctors or lawyers, um, but we are both very creative and we've both figured out you know, ways to like take care of ourselves and our families um, as creative entrepreneurs. So, so that's one thing is to um, understand what it means to get organized in this kind of way and organizing with our dollars is the way in which you organize in a capitalistic society. So when we make demands on uh, institutions, whether they be museums or galleries or uh, cafes at the corner store or whatever, and there's no representation, then you vote with your dollar. You know what I mean? You make that decision with your dollar. So I wanna, I wanna just, um, highlight that, that uh, aspect of it. Something else that's really important that you are just hitting on is, is the impact of representation. And uh, I've been someone's parent since I was a teenager. I was a teenage mom. And even uh, as a, a young parent, um, my children grew up seeing pictures, images of black people on the wall. Uh, so, photography, paintings, sculptures. Um, they were encouraged to make art themselves. They were encouraged to like rep to draw representations of their family and their community. And I remember their friends would come in the house sometimes and go, um, you know, would say to them, you know, why don't y'all have any regular art on the wall? Miss Ashara, how come y'all don't have any regular art on the wall? And I would say, what do you think regular art is? Because what they've been seeing are these like, you know, poorly, you know, painted landscapes that they sell on, you know, TV at three o'clock in the morning, you know, buy this, blah, 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 you know, or something that they've seen in a hotel lobby that's just mass produced. Um, and there's no context for what this art is, whether it be abstract or figurative. And so making normal representation, making it normal for children, and I, I'm being very specific to this, um, for young people and for children specifically to be exposed and to be taught and to have and have conversations with about culture, about themselves, whether you be, you know, part of the, the brown hoop, the white hoop, the red hoop, the gold hoop, you know, on this planet, what is your relationship to yourself and that your representation matters. And that's why you see in media when it's such a big deal um, the, at the Oscars or the Grammys or the Tonys that we have this whole conversation based on like race and whose culture, because here's what we know about the United States culture. You know, this is, this podcast, you know, is all over the world. You know, Jewel, you're, you're in Berlin. <laughs> what the United States actually exports is black culture. How we dress, how we sing, what we eat, how we talk, us. Hip hop culture is the culture of the world. It's the culture of youth for sure but it's what's exported. And so to have something um, that is uniquely ours and for us to not be represented in the aspect of control, you said something before we started the, uh, the, the podcast, Paul, that just struck me that you have influence, authority, and access. 
that's power right there. You see what I'm saying? So this is what we as Black creatives, whether they be uh, curators like myself, collectors, uh, institutional leaders, that we have to think about what it means to honestly raise up artists. Artists beget artists. I say this all the time. Not only do artists show up first, artists raise artists. And so you might not have um, children of your own, but take advantage of, of the ability to have a conversation with a child. Maybe it's your niece or your nephew is the kid on the corner. You go into a gallery opening, be like, hey, um, Ms. Johnson, can I take your daughter to the gallery opening? We're gonna go see this show. Uh, this brother named Kayende Wiley has got a, an exhibition at the museum and I'd really love for the kids to go and see his work. And they might go, wow, I, they've never been to the museum before. So I'm just saying there's this, this expansion opportunity that I think is also something that we can do that is like, take a, child to the, take a child to the theater. You go into the show, buy another ticket. Because if you can afford one, you can afford another. Buy another ticket, take another kid. And um, expanding the, the, the perception and the definition of museum. I think that one of the beauties of me being an independent curator um, for so many years is that I'm not like bound by any you know, restrictions of a particular institutional brand you know, that I can move with freedom in and out of those spaces. I haven't worked for someone else in a very, very, very long time. I don't know if I have um, the tolerance for it, but I'm, I'm, up, for, I'm up for trying it. I'm, I'm starting to think about a job that I, that I might apply for. But I want us to um, expand the idea of what it means to be curator, someone who takes care of, who is mindful of, who is careful with culture, right, with each other. And that we can, you know, back in the day, old school, we used to just show our friends artwork in the living room. It's like, oh, I made some art. Okay, bring it over on Friday. You know, we're going to make a pot of greens and some cornbread and bring the art and we're going to put it up. And our friends would come over and we would talk about each other's art and then we would buy it. Then we would buy it. So that, I just want us to like really um, not be attached to not only the validation of the white gaze, but not be attached to the idea that the only valid art is the art that is, is, is put inside these institutions that have traditionally absolutely locked us out of it. And now it's popular for our art to be there, you know, really invited to be into those spaces only as it relates to the capitalistic aspect of, uh, of the invitation. Shara, you just said something that was like so important because I also think like, it, as we have done in the past with our collections and art and artists that we value is what we can do in the future. We still need to be inviting children and audiences into the art that we have collect and shown and seen. You know, I, I run a large public agency and my walls are filled with the art from artists that I have curated, <laughs> uh, artists of color, that is for sale as public displays for the public to see. And I think those are some of the small ways that people can do right now. Uh, it's important that you have your own collection and you collect art that you value from your own community, but there are steps that you can take as well to broaden the significance of that. And, and I don't want to miss the opportunities to really highlight how important and significant your role as curator can be for the solution for what's wrong with the industry in terms of going to most galleries, in terms of going to museums, part of why our art isn't collected, part of why our art isn't shown is because of the white gaze and the lack of diversity 
in the decision-making process for these institutional arbiters of art and value. My concern is that as we are having these conversations and the demand grows, that we don't just have an expansion of uh, art from communities of color that gets separated out from the definitions of fine art. We have the fine art, we have collectible art, and we have a new category that we just built for you that's now Black art, that's now Latinx art, that's now LGBTQI, et cetera, art. No, no. We have an art definition that is expanded, not a new category that is marginalized. But we don't get there without an intentionality that we are demanding as community to make sure that we don't see mistakes made or we don't see offensive steps taken that are introducing our art, our artists into marginalized presentations that are not reflective from the regular or the institutionalized industry that needs to be expanded. And I think that that is really important. I just don't wanna give short shrift to the role that curators can play when they are left in the room, when they are allowed to make decisions, when they are demanded from communities with public art presentations, public art dollars that we fund and are not recognized with or for. That white gaze is really important. And I refuse to accept some random person that has not had experiences in my community telling me what a reflection of my community has to look like or should look like in spite of what they have selected. And I'm not saying that those artists aren't good or that art isn't good, but it's rarely reflective of my own interpretation and experiences, which is valuable because that's what art is supposed to be. And you don't get to tell me what it should be for my community because you don't know my community and nobody from my community was in the room when you were putting together that show. No one in from my community was in the room when you were deciding what needs to be your priorities for a collection and not a show. Thank you for your tokenism show and I appreciate it. But if it's not tied to, as you said, the opportunity to institutionalize a process to bring public students in, public school students in, or collectors in to understand the work more broadly or appreciate it on uh, a broader level than it's just here, then we miss an opportunity to really do something. And when that is culminated with that art not being part of the collection, it comes and goes and passes like water under a bridge, which doubles the insult to me from great shows that I've seen. And none of that art is in the collection for the institutions that we are supposed to value and appreciate. And so anyway, I just didn't want that missed on our audience that's listening to things about how significant your voice is, how significant your contribution has been and can be to the organizations that they are already familiar with. We need to be articulating to the galleries that we have supported in the past and asking, do you have a curatorial staff that is reflective of communities of color? We need to be asking our local museums who are your curators of color and listen for that silence and allow it to settle and then make suggestions with names like yours of here are some curators that I know. Have you worked with them and why not? I'll wait. These are the questions that we have to be presenting in order to get to a difference rather than taking an aspirational approach and hoping that it changes in the future and the companies value uh, our dollars companies, museums, galleries value our presence, companies, museums, and galleries 
value our contributions in ways that are not merely monetized institutional practices that have exploited us in the past and continue to do so presently until and unless we start making a difference with asks, questions, and demands like we've articulated in this podcast that are outcome determinative for inclusion. So I just, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to recognize our power, you know? Right. And, and, and understand what it actually means to be powerful. I mean, when I was about seven years old, I remember going, I was, I don't know, I was at a, a, an art exhibition with my father actually in Detroit, Michigan. And um, I remember just asking him one day, you know, who gets to decide the art that's on the wall? Who is it that makes that decision? And he said, oh, that's the curator. And I said, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And, you know, like I said, across the genre, that, that's what it is. I recognized as a child that that was a powerful position. It's like, well, if I'm the one who gets to pick, then I get to pick. You know what I mean? That's what it is. If, I, if I'm the one who says, this is beautiful, this is valuable, this is show worthy, you know, those are all like loaded terms and it's, it's all subjective. But I'm saying in my seven-year-old mind, it was like, well, this looks, this looks like a pretty cool job, you know, and it's always been important for me to make sure that children are exposed to as many different ways of being and living and producing um, or not producing as possible. And so the idea that um, you can be a curator, but there are so many other positions in the art sector, in the art world that are as important that I want people to consider. And I always want young people to be exposed to, particularly the archivist, the conservator, right? And the installer. So it's like the care that those people take in order to maintain uh, our archive and the importance of an archive and creating an archive for yourself um, is part of this, this, this conversation on being a collector. So I just want to insert, you know, that opportunity of like excitement, um, exciting young people to think about what it means to be inside of this art sector if you're like not the person who's a painter back because you guys know I'm really big on like business models and as you guys were talking about exposing kids to art and culture I mean I think still it goes back to what you're taught at home is actually how you grow up and how you engage or can't engage with difference so although we're talking about exposing kids to art we also need to make sure that we expose them um, to different cultures, to different ethnicities. So it becomes part of the natural fabric. Um, so we don't necessarily have to continue having these conversations where there's not that, you know, that inclusive lens in which things are being curated or things are, or different artworks are being attracted to or different, um, you know, elements are being seen or multi-dimensions are being seen. Um, one thing that um, obviously is happening and uh, the ArtNet report actually brought up that although um, in-person events started to resume, uh, online sales still continued to grow. And apparently they generated like um, the big three uh, houses generated like 1.5 billion online sales, which was up 35% over the last year. 
So that brings me to another point that if you inside, if you're a gallerist or if you are an institution and you don't have a very strong also marketing team, uh, which is also becoming very relevant, especially as we're looking at different works of art. Um, this Paul and I, we, we kind of had this conversation when that Ernie Barnes uh, work of art was auctioned off. Now we saw two different situations. In the US, it went for what, 17 million, and then they had one the next week in Hong Kong, which barely did anything. And uh, one of the reasons also that happened is, I mean, for those of us who, you know, are Black American, we know good times. I mean, I remember watching Good Times was in the 70s, or I mean, that was like part of the show. So this work of art that was auctioned, I mean, and that whole storyline wasn't even brought up when the piece work of art was being auctioned. Um, just like how relevant it was even to Black culture and society in America. Um, I actually was not surprised at all that there weren't people bidding back and forth and what the price point was for what the one went off in Hong Kong, because again, there wasn't that like that attraction to that particular culture or that particular style. Like it was just a little bit different. But I mean, I think it's very important as auctions continue, as things become also online and we're still hybrid. Um, as uh, even like artists of color, for example, can also themselves like market uh, their own artworks, et cetera, you know, that we also fine tune and put in are really great at telling the stories around the artworks. And again, that comes from exposure, uh, that comes from knowledge, that comes from comfort, that comes from like, like that soulful, elements that unless people are global or engaged with difference, I mean, some of those pieces may be missing, which then also impacts, I feel, the dollar value or the equity, the artist equity, that the, you know, and generational wealth. So that's all I wanted to say on that. Now, that's a lot to say. And you just brought up some really important points that, you know, in talking about the exploitation of our work that has happened in the past and the missed opportunities of economic inclusion that I think museums, galleries, and corporations are making. I, I love that Ashar was talking about the intellectual creativity because I believe that that can be expressed without you being an artist, regardless of what your profession is, but having a seat at the table and understanding that we are empowering ourselves and our families and our communities by taking the chance to curate the art that we see around us. And if you see images that feel reflective to you, to put those on your screensaver, to put that piece of art, not just in your home, but in your office as an advocacy method to show and identify what is valued and what's important. When you were just talking a minute ago, Jewel, about the explosion in terms of investments in art, which is not anything that's new. I think a lot of folks, uh, as they grow wealth or manage their wealth, participate in art, in real estate, and in the market. And those three things rotate based on the fluctuations of the market. And what does that mean for emerging wealth for communities of color? What does it mean for emerging collectors or that folks that are missing out on that 
the primary focus for or the primary concentration of black wealth investments is in real estate. And then secondarily, the stock market. And part of that is a reflection of the lack of advocacy and the lack of institutionalized training to appreciate the market for art. And that's part of the problem. But how we focus on this growth that is taking place in terms of the digital expansion, I believe, is intentionally because of the specified searches that can take place now digitally where you can say the kind of art that you're interested in when you're looking through a collection. And to the degree, your collection, your offering, your sales product is not reflective of the community that you are looking for, you are missing those opportunities because people are no longer held captive by what the museum chooses to present to them. People are no longer held captive by what a gallery may show on their walls. They can go into your website and to the degree those websites and those offerings are not reflective of their own definitions of self or community, then those translate into missed opportunity of emerging wealth, of emerging investments, of emerging uh, expansions for community support. And that's that's the message. I think there's so much out there, but I also think that there's so many things and ways that the lay person and the average person can be doing to make changes, not just in their own life, but influencing the art industry and the world that I think can be long lasting and make a difference collectively. So. Yeah. And so, um, you know, getting towards the end here, one of my um, the one last point I want to make or ask you guys is what is it that you think or what you like to say to the the current gallerists, curators and some of the institutional heads that are like really right now in the, the, the thick of it and basically paving the way as things are becoming a little bit more, I would say, congested. Uh, in the art world. I mean, I, I was at Art Basel, heard lots of galleries talk about, you know, how sales were low, but then maybe they, you know, the only thing that's selling is black art. Like sometimes when I hear these conversations, I mean, they really gets my blood uh, pressure uh, boiling because it's kind of like, again, it's like, okay, let's pick it up while it's hot, but is it like a sustainable business model? And it's not. And I also think that the most important thing is like you have to have a, a, a team overall, like the decision makers, the people at the table, they also have to have really good attitudes um, as it relates to inclusive uh, lens. It's just not, I don't think that the responsibility should just be put on the acquisitions person or the cur curatorial team. I mean, the marketing folks, the folks that are finding, like you said, Paul, finding a voice out there and artists to follow reposting their stuff and if you don't follow but you just kind of hijacking their information i mean that doesn't work either does it it does not and i would say because you asked me what the message would be i think the message is a glaring one for those institutions that the unmet needs for communities of color and disenfranchised communities will continue to grow and translate into diminished profits for you. It's estimated already that it's at 30%, but as you continue to not make those changes, your profit margins, your acceptance and validation from broader communities will continue to diminish and not to scare galleries, not to scare museums or not to scare corporations, or maybe it is to scare them, but you can do better. There mm -hmm. is discretionary money out there. 
There is discretionary appreciation out there if you can reflect and make your definition of art more inclusive. And that's exactly why these conversations matter. That's exactly why you need to have folks like us in the rooms as you are making decisions or partnerships with independent validation that you can bring to your organization by having authentic art being presented. And by authentic, that means coming from the community to community and for the community. And we don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed to demand that or ask for that. I certainly am not. And that what the, that's what the solution is. I mean, I can frame it for you in a legal perspective in terms of exposure. I can frame it for you in terms of a financial perspective, in terms of lost opportunities. But the reality of it is I want people to really understand the potentiality of really reflecting a broader message in art and really reflecting a more expansive definition of beauty and art to a broader community, that's the goal. That's what we all want. Here are the steps of how to get there. This is how you take those steps. And I know you don't, you may not understand it. I know you have tried. And I know that some of those steps have been making. Let me tried. just say, yeah, well, let, let me just say, even if you have, it's not enough. And you will see your profit margin fall. You will see your audiences dwindle. As, the, as this community, as the United States and other communities outside of the United States continue to be more broadly defined by the existence of people of color in disenfranchised communities, you will see what you have to offer is not going to meet the standard of profitability in the future. That's just well, the truth. But in closing, also, I think most importantly, if people aren't authentic about wanting to represent, you know, certain artist or you know I mean I think that that also at the end of the day I mean the universe works right I mean if it's not sustainable and also I mean I'm sitting here in Berlin and I mean even in the you know in the investment in entrepreneurial role I mean we're talking about there's a, like 160 plus different nationalities that are here and still everything from the male from is just all German. Like they're not even tapping into the 160 plus different nationalities that are here. So that alone is like an opportunity I feel for the art world and for galleries. I mean, if you don't have at least, I mean, can we at least have like half of those different like cultures like somewhere? I mean, it's not even about at this point, you know, it's not even about like, for example, like just black and white or women or whatever. It's just like we really need to make sure as it relates to art and culture that what is seen is representative. And then if it's not, this is where, again, artists need to really, I feel, protect their brand, protect uh, what they create and not always be caught up on that they have to have representation by quote unquote the traditional institution of a gallery. Like I just had a conversation about that. Like, oh no, but I can't really do. It. I really need to have a gallery. Okay. No, yeah. you don't. Let me let me let me let me say this, uh, Jewel. You know, um, uh, as a child, uh, my mother taught me that there are only two things that appreciate. Now, I grew up, as I've told you, in Detroit, Michigan, Motor City, you know, home of the car. So poor folks, like, they, you know, they're very wealthy people, middle class folk, poor folk, working class folk. Everybody had a new car every year because so many people work for the car company, right? So you got a new car. 
But we would talk about the fact that that car didn't have the same value it had once you took it off the lot and drove it around the block. The two things that do acquire value, however, are land and art. And that if you can acquire land and art, that you will always be able to have um, uh, an opportunity to create generational wealth because you can pass that down to your family. You can pass that down to your children and your grandchildren. It, acquire, it will always acquire uh, more value. And so, you know, and when I'm, when I'm listening for um, the opportunities to, to talk about money, to talk about wealth and to talk about value for these institutions or these, ga these galleries or whatever, you know, whatever these so-called walls, brick and mortar places may be. Uh, I wanna say to the, the folks who wanna be curators to keep going, to carry on if you're already doing that work. I want you to, um, to expand and just blow, just blow the whole damn thing out, just blow it out. Because black artists, the brilliance of black people, the brilliance, the genius of African people cannot be denied nor stopped, period. So our labor, our dreams, our products, our children, our legacy. Our voice. Just, 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 I don't know how that sounds on the, on the podcast, but it's just, see what I'm saying? As, as my sister, artist, organizer in uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania says Alicia B. Wormsley, there are black people in the future. Okay, the future, the past, the present, we aren't going anywhere. And so if you are going to say that, oh, I'm struggling, I'm a gallerist, I'm having a hard time and I'm gonna go and just like, see if I can get some black artists. And if the black artists are on that same tip saying, I need a gallerist, we're gonna keep having a problem. That is not sustainable. You see what I'm saying? So we just need to be even more creative than we already are, you know, as we think about uh, wealth and legacy, okay? What, what, what does this mean? What does this um, represent for us to be creatives, uh, geniuses, you know, epic producers, uh, the keeper of the culture? I mean, seriously, for fuck's sake, I define the culture. I define it, okay? So you can either get with the program or get out of my way. That's all. That's all. So whatever they doing in Berlin, you know, or wherever else in the world in the art sector, you know, we're 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 not going anywhere. You know, I say now, that and they I, can't see that on the podcast, but I felt like a figurative microphone just fell on the ground. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> drop the mic, drop the mic, drop the mic. Drop the mic, drop the mic. Oh my uh, god, you guys are so right. I mean I just can't tell you like kind of what's happening and like how I don't know like it's important like the voice and to have a voice and I guess what I want to say to artists in closing because I always say what what words of advice would you give the artist I mean I was like the closing thing and I would say hey um I think when you're looking for a gallery a gallerist um if you feel that that's the tip that you're on, um, make sure that, you know, you can go and have a nice dinner with them. Make sure that they really know your true essence, your being, your soul, like why you create what you create um, and not necessarily question or be afraid to come visit your hometown or the city, you know, that you live in or to have dinner at your house. 
um, or things like that, because I think it's those little elements that really are your true essence. And so you should be proud of that. You shouldn't need to hide it and just always just go to a nice restaurant. Like, you know, if you can't break bread, I feel. If you can't break bread with somebody that's supposed to like market you, connect you, you know, and then sell your art and then also get 50 percent. That part. Here you are. I mean, like, why do you feel that you need to have? I mean, that's like that you could put it in the, you know, like in the bank or something like that, especially if they can't break bread with you. So at least like do the break bread test. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you break some bread with me test? Like, come on over. Let's have some, I don't know, greens, cornbreads, fried chicken, something like that. But if they're all scared to come, if they're all scared to come to your house. No, we're talking about being human. We're talking about being your human. friends. We're talking about humanity and afraid to come to your house, your friends, or they're like afraid, you know, can't take you out in the daytime or something like that. You know, maybe that's not the right, the right, the right home. <laughs> that's not the right place for you. That's okay, not the right so in closing, y'all, what is the words of advice that you have for artists? Um, because I'm I'm a, I'm gonna say mine and and jump quick. Uh, select your own art. Yes, that's what I'm gonna say collect From your other own artist art. friends. That's collect, right. Collect the art that you make yourself for yourself. Mm-hmm. Create oh. your put some of your own art yes. in your archive. That's and right. By you collecting and buying your own art, it also increases its value. Collect your own art. That's yeah. That's I would say my advice would be to be intentional about your art and your career. And so you are curating the folks who are collecting your art. You are curating the galleries that you work with, and you are curating your exposure and experience to museums and museum tracked efforts. That's an intentionality that we don't need to be ashamed to cultivate and to have. And if you don't know how to do that, to be working with institutions, to be working with organizations and to be working with individuals that can help you cultivate that so that you can execute a vision that elevates your art. And I understand that artists are artists. They may not be engineers or lawyers or financiers, but those people exist and working with them will help you get to the next level, will help you get to understanding how the curatorial process works will only enhance your art. It only enhances your reflection of the community that your art is designed to serve. Uh, I think that I I want artists to feel empowered and I want them to be able to take steps beyond just, I create what I feel and what I see. Yes, you do and continue to do that. But let's be smart about once you are making these creations, how you expose that or how you create pathways for where that art goes and gets disseminated into the audience of the industry. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ashar and Paul, for joining us for this, you know, this really deep, intense conversation. I think it should be continued. I think we should do something like this every other month. We got to come up like with like some like data point that's happening and like say, hey, this is what our thoughts are. Anyway, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. And I can't wait to share this with like the world. All right, you guys, peace out. Peace out, sis. Peace. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Raising the Bar podcast series. This series is brought to you by Bithouse Group and Bar Art and Residency. Once again, my name is Jewel Sparks. 
And at Bar, we love to hear about your favorite artists and we'll welcome you to recommend them to us as a guest for our series. You can connect with Bar Art and Residency via LinkedIn or follow a Bar Residency on Instagram. Please send an email to info at bar, B-A-A-R residency.com. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time.